a Podcast One production. Listening to what's said is basic, but listening to what's unsaid is where the power in listening comes about. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. Most people think they are great listeners because they've been doing it all their lives. In fact, it is acknowledged humans today are worse listeners than ever in history. I'm not sure how we measure this, but right now, competing with technology, speed, rushing about, and the 12 things that are going on in your head means that the art of listening is usually relegated to the bottom of the list of skills for people at work to concentrate on. Many experts believe listening should be at the top of the list of skills required for a successful career, a fundamental skill that will help your relationships, build your confidence and make you a better leader. Today, to really get to the heart of listening, I've invited Oscar Trimboli, listening expert, author, podcaster and speaker who is passionate about the gift of listening and how it can bring positive change at work, home and the world. Oscar, you speak for a living. What makes you interested in listening? Oh, the irony of speaking about the topic of listening. In 2012, Margie, it was March. It was the fourth floor of a building in North Ryde and I was on a video conference between Singapore, Sydney and Seattle. It was the annual budget process for Microsoft in Australia and uh, there was 18 people on a video conference and my vice president stared across me at the 20 minute mark in the room and she said, Oscar, I want to see you immediately after this meeting. Margie, the only thing that was going through my head in that moment was how many weeks of salary have I got in the bank because nobody says that to you without something pretty serious going on. And uh, I was really nervous and I was a bit worried about what was going to happen next. And Tracy said to me, Oscar, at the 20-minute mark, you have no idea what you did, but you completely changed the trajectory of the meeting by the way you listened to the room. If you could code that, you could change the world. Now, Margie, the only thing going through my head was, I haven't been fired. (laughs) (laughs) And she said something so profound, if I could code that, I could change the world. And uh, I, I really think in that moment, Tracy gave me a gift to notice that the way I listen was very different. So, Oscar, I'm a bit curious, what did you do at the 20-minute mark? Did you facilitate everyone? If there's 18 people and you're listening, nobody's looking at you. So how did you change it in that moment? You know, at the 20-minute mark, everybody's had their opening gambit on this budget-setting process. The global HQ always wants a bigger number. The local subsidiary always wants a smaller number. And poor old Singapore has to act like Switzerland and kind of arbitrate the difference. And in that moment, what I asked everybody to do was imagine a world where everybody's assumption was false. And in that moment, the the state of the room changed both in our room, but also on the video conference. And as people started to explore what their assumptions behind the model was in the budget, not what they were trying to fight for, all of a sudden the conversation became productive. Oh, 
that's the assumption you've made, that Australia is like Canada. Well, let us tell you why Australia is similar. Let us tell us why Australia is different. And the dialogue moved to a very different place. So what I was listening for is adjectives like absolutely, always, never. These absolutes were being used by everybody. And when you listen for those absolutes, what you're hearing is the assumptions that sit behind everybody's language. And most people aren't even conscious of the assumptions that they make before they get to the conversation. So Margie, what I was listening for in that moment and invited the room to explore is when I heard absolutes, I went, wow, really hard-coded assumptions here. Let's help the room notice those assumptions and then move to a more productive place. Where did you learn that, Oscar? Was that something that just came instinctively in the moment or had you really been studying or been on a great course with a great person? (laughs) No. um, I spent my teenage years behind very big braces. I had a a very bad werewolf jaw, if you can imagine, American werewolf in London multiplied by a couple. So from from the age of 12 to the age of 18, I, I had braces on. Most people in their teenage years might have it on for one, two or three years. I, I had it for nearly six years um, because they had so much work to do. But what it forced me to do was hide. Um, so I didn't want to be noticed because of my facial features. But what it got me really good at was asking questions what it was really good at was getting me to deflect people's attention away from me and back to them. And I learned to do it through questions, but I also learned to do it, Margie, through card games. At our school, we had 23 different nationalities playing cards from all around the world. We went to a school that was close to a migrant centre and we had migrants from war-torn South America, people fleeing Eastern Europe at the time and even people from Vietnam and Cambodia. And they all played this Italian card game in their home language. And I could only speak one language, so I had to learn to listen to body language. And I became a really good player because I listened to what was happening in their eyes, in their smile, in their hand position on the cards. And it wasn't something that I was conscious about. But later on through my work career, I I became quite famous for saying, yeah, this is all great, but what would a customer say if we were listening to them right now? And people would roll their eyes when I would ask that question. They get quite bored with that question. But that in large globals like Microsoft, like Vodafone, became a really good question to help people listen to what they're not saying because most of us don't even know the neuroscience of listening And once we do, we completely transform the way we think about the world. Which brings me back to something I said in the introduction, Oscar, which is most people think they are great listeners because they've been doing it all their lives. But in fact, people aren't great listeners, are they? Margie, my three favourite statistics are most people think, or in fact, 86% of people think they're above average IQ 84% of people think they're above average car drivers and 83% of us think we're above average listeners. None of us have had any listening training in our life. In fact, the statistics say only 2% of people have ever had any training in how to listen. And if you take the therapeutic industry out, psychologists, psychiatrists and the like, that number goes down to less than 1% of people that any listening training. And this is particularly relevant in the workplace because most leaders spend more of their day listening than they do actually speaking. The more senior you are, the more of your day you spend listening. So in maths, we know plus, minus, divide, subtract, but we don't know that for listening. And we don't know that we don't know the art of listening. 
we don't know the science of listening. The closest listening lesson we ever got growing up was our parents saying, why aren't you listening? Or our teachers might have said exactly the same thing. So by the second, third and fourth decade of a leader's career, they would have had six to 12 training courses on public speaking and zero training courses on how to listen. Yet the more senior they are, the more of their day they're spending listening, Margie. Those are really interesting statistics, Oscar. I'm curious, why don't people listen? We've interviewed 1,410 people who are professionals. They're in a workplace and asked them about their listening barriers. And, and they boil down, really, 86% of people struggle with one simple barrier, that's distraction. Internal distraction, the story going on in their own head, and the external distraction, the mobile phone, the computer, the uh, notifications coming up on your screen. So for most people, the barriers to their listening and what gets in their way is purely distraction. There are other things that get in the way as well. But there are four listening villains that emerged in our research, Margie. The four listening villains are the dramatic listener, the interrupting listener, the lost listener, and the shrewd listener. And depending on who you are, you will listen differently to a parent than you will to a principal at school. You'll listen differently to a police officer than you will to a professional ballet dancer. You'll listen differently to an actor, to an accountant, and you'll listen differently to a doctor than you will to a sibling. We listen differently because listening is relational, it's situational, and it's contextual. And too many of us don't do the basics to get ready to listen. That's why we're not good listeners. We think that listening is about focusing on the speaker and we're already starting from the wrong place. Focusing on the speaker is the wrong place to start your listening. Well, that seems counterintuitive because if you're the speaker, shouldn't I be focusing on you? There's five levels of listening and the first level of listening is the one that everybody skips. That's listening to yourself. Most people turn up to a conversation with a radio station playing in their own head with their own tune going on. They have so many browser tabs open in their mind, they're not available to listen to the other person. So the very first person you need to focus on when it comes to listening is you. And that's why listening distractions are the biggest issue. If I were to give everyone a really simple thing to think about, listening is three-dimensional. It happens before, during, and after the conversation. But most listening literature, anything you've been taught about listening, small as it is, only focuses on during the conversation. If you build a house with the wrong foundations, you're not going to be successful. A lot of people say to me, Margie, oh, this listening hurts my head. It, it, it takes so much concentration. It's really difficult. And I say, you're doing it wrong. What you need to do is make sure you're available to listen first. And then the second biggest mistake, the second biggest myth of listening is this simple fact. Your job as a listener is not to make sense of what they say. Your job is to help the speaker make sense of what they're thinking. Now, again, that sounds completely counterintuitive, but too many of us believe that the very first thing that people say is what they mean. And the neuroscience says we speak at 125 words a minute, but we can think it up to 900 words a minute. And the likelihood what we say the first time is what we mean is 11%. That's why communication struggles. I'm really curious just to take a pause here and, and delve into that point because as a coach, I really, and even a facilitator of high-performing teams, I see that all the time, Oscar, that people are trying to 
say something and the first few words that come out of their mouth are grabbed hold of by people around them and it's not actually what they mean. Can you tell me a little bit more about this derailer and the antidotes we might find? So we need to understand ourselves and listen to what's going on in our head and then we need to help the speaker say what they mean. And you're saying you do that by not assuming the first thing that comes out of their mouth is what they mean. Yeah. So if you do the maths and you go uh, 125 words divided by 900 words, it's 11%. So if you went to a casino, Margie, you get better odds on a roulette wheel than you would most people have a conversation with people thinking that the first thing they say is what they mean. You know, writers would never write the first thing that they say and publish it. There's an editing process. And that's one of the roles of really skillful listeners do. They help the speaker edit their thoughts. But imagine you're not even available to the conversation because you're thinking about the next meeting, you're thinking about the last meeting, you're distracted. Now, for all of us, if we could just simply do this before we go into any conversation, Margie, take three deep breaths. If that's all we did, we would shut down at least one browser tab in our mind. If we took three more deep breaths, we'd shut down another browser tab in our mind and we would be available to listen to the other person. Listening happens in three different dimensions. It's like one-on-one listening, group listening, and then organisational or systemic listening. I want to tell you a really simple story about Mick who called me up. It was 8.15 on a Monday morning and and he said to me, Oscar, you nearly cost me my marriage. And I said, oh, (laughs) tell me more. Now, the backstory is Mick's a CEO. I've been working with him for about 90 days on his listening. And I always give my clients warnings to say, don't practice this at home. This is for the workplace. It's researched in the workplace. Don't go and use it at home. And the Friday night before, him and his wife and his kids had had dinner. The kids had been put away to bed. Mick and his wife were cleaning up the table. And she looked at him in the eyes and said those magic words that every man dreads, Mick, we need to talk. And he said his heart sank in that moment. So they sat down. She said, look, I just want you to tell me the truth. I know you've been having an affair. I can handle the truth. Just tell me who it is and we can move on but don't tell me any lies, don't make up any stories because your behaviour over the last 90 days is completely different. You've never paid me so much attention as you have in the last 90 days. And Mick put his hand on her hand and said, it's not what you think. And she screamed at him and he said, I don't want excuses, just tell me who it is. And he went, okay, it's a man. And she burst into tears. And he said, no, 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 it's a man who's teaching me how to listen. And with that, she composed herself and she said, wow, I've never felt so sexy in our 12 years of marriage as I have in the last 90 days because you've paid me so much attention. And he said, well, that's because I've been listening to you instead of trying to solve all your problems. Now, the rest of the story is very X-rated, Margie, because he said he had the best night since his honeymoon, (laughs) but that's a story for another day. I was going to quote back to you something that I read that you'd said, which is every human asks to be listened to, yet what they crave most is to be heard. Mm. And it sounds to me like that story about Mick 
in his relationship was really very much around the feeling of being heard. And I like the way that you use the word, we crave to be heard. Mm-hmm. So that's a terrific story. But I'm keen to hear about the other stages of listening. I've heard about what's in my head. I've heard about focusing on helping somebody process what they mean. What are the other two? I'm gaining lots of tips here. I thought I was a good listener, <laughs> but this is great. Okay, so let's think about the four villains of listening. The, the first one is the dramatic listener. Now, what I want everybody to do who's listening right now, come back. I know you're distracted because I'm speaking 125 words a minute, but you can listen at 400, so you're filling in the gaps. I'm going to describe the worst listeners you've ever met in your life, and I want you to focus on and give a name to each of these. So the dramatic listener loves listening to your story. They're so engaged in your story. They love the story. They love the characters and emotion of the story because it gives them an opportunity to tell an even bigger story. So if you're going through a really tough merger right now, they've had a worse merger. If you've had an awful boss right now, they've had a worse boss. They love the theatre of your story because it gives them an opportunity to become an actor on the stage of your story. Now, don't get me wrong, they're listening really intently to the story and the emotion, but that's not their role. Their role isn't to one-up your story. And you call that a dramatic listener? A dramatic listener. Okay, we've all met one of those. Yeah, And, and a lot of people say it tends to show up more in social life than it does in work life, but then when we spend a little bit more time on it, people go, oh yeah, I, I can see. And the dramatic listener loves to hang out in the um, in the coffee area at work, whether that's the cafeteria or the kitchen. These are all places that uh, dramatic listener loves to hang out. The, the second one is the interrupting listener. And we were surprised in our research, we would have thought the dramatic listener would be over-indexed in the frustrations people have with listeners. They're the quiz show contestant who buzzes in early before the host is given the question and they answer the wrong question. They love listening to you, but they're so engaged in solving the problem, but time is a really big issue to them. So they're jumping ahead. They're not really listening. They're trying to solve rather than trying to listen. So that's the interrupting listener. The third listener is the lost listener. We've spent a bit of time with them already, even before they come to the conversation. They're, they're processing something else. Or they're in the conversation and they're going, hmm, I've been invited to this meeting with six other people. I wonder why they invited me to be here. Oh, well, if I just hang around for the next five minutes, I'm sure I'll figure out how I fit in. And they're perceived as really vague by the rest of the people in the room. So the lost listener, not quite sure of their role. They're trying to figure it out. And distractions are their biggest enemy. The final one is the shrewd listener, disproportionately represented in the selling profession, the brief-taking professions, the medical professions, the brief-taking professions, accountants, lawyers, architects, anybody in market research, anybody who's in a big four consulting firm. These people are listening intently. They've got their hand on their chin. They're giving you great, "Mm mm-hmm, ah, and tell me more. But if you were seated a captioning inside their brain, Margie, what they'd be saying is, oh, wow, this is a really basic problem. I'm so smart. I've thought about three other problems I haven't even thought about, but I'll pretend that I'll be listening and I'll think I'm very wise. So... Maggie, which listener really frustrates you the most out of the dramatic, interrupting, lost and shrewd listeners? 
It's a great question, Oscar, but I think it's the interrupting listener. Mm. I actually, if I can tell a personal story, recently on Zoom, when we've got together in large groups, um, either as a family or with friends, I found it much better these days because people have to take turns and can't talk over each other. And I found myself enjoying it more. Mm. So based on that, information about myself, I would say on reflection, the interrupting listener is the one that bothers me most. What about you? Well, you see, I'm a lost listener at home and I'm a shrewd listener at work. So uh, for me, I'm happy to own up to my uh, listening faux pas. And I would say I'm not a perfect listener, but I notice my distractions faster than other people. And I think that's the big difference between uh, distracted listener and a deep and powerful listener. It's your ability to notice when you're distracted. That's a great point, Oscar. And it's something I really want to land with everyone who's listening around this idea of taking control about your ability to deeply listen and to listen to what's really being said. So you're just saying move the distractions Mm -hmm. away. Is that correct? Well, the first thing about distractions is anticipate them. Know they're coming rather than allowing distractions to mug you in a dark alley in the middle of your mind, know that distractions are going to come in every conversation. So the three tips I give everybody, and they all want the ninja move of listening, and they all get frustrated because this is so basic, the kind of three tips I'm going to give you. So tip number one, remove your laptop, remove your phone, remove any electronic devices, remove any notifications from your screen if you're doing video conferences, as an example. So that's the first thing you can do to proactively anticipate distractions. Second tip is drink water. A hydrated brain is a listening brain. The brain, 5% of body mass, yet it consumes 26% of blood sugar. And listening happens at the front of the brain, just behind the skull in an area called the prefrontal cortex. It's also the most modern part of the brain. So if you can get blood sugar up there, listening's going to be a lot simpler. What do I mean by that? It means you'll notice your distractions quicker and you'll have more room open for listening. And then tip number three, take three deep breaths before you come into the conversation. Again, getting oxygen to the brain will get it into a state for listening. But more importantly, you'll engage the nervous system and three deep breaths will relax you and get you ready to listen. When it comes to the actual dialogue of distraction there, Margie, I just have a little box I visualise in my head and the minute I get distracted, I go, great, I'll put that thought up there and let me come back into this moment. And if you notice the distraction, here's something that people quite surprised I say. Forgive me, Margie, could you say that again? I just got distracted. Now, that will build an enormous rapport between you and the speaker because they'll go, hmm, okay, so they're human and they respect me enough to ask me to say it again. Now, if you say it three times, (laughs) obviously you're not paying attention, but in that moment, that simple forgive me, please, I got distracted, could you say the question again, will earn you the right to stay in the conversation a little bit longer and they'll start to explore a little bit more. I think for me, ultimately, Margie, listening to what's said is basic, but listening to what's unsaid is where the power in listening comes about. And what a great space to finish today, Oscar. I've learned a lot. I've listened deeply today. I'm very grateful for those tips and I can now picture what triggers me, what I need to do and how I might simply do it. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening. 
Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app, or search Fast Track Podcast.